0: Father, we are your children. God, we are no longer slaves to fear. And so, Father, it is our prayer today, Lord, that you would be lifted high. Lord, that we would trust in you for our strength. And Father God, as we hear your words today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to direct our attention to you. Lord, that you would speak to us. And Father, the Lord, that the words that are being spoken would change our hearts forever. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. Have you guys ever had one of those days? Ha! Yeah, you guys already know what I'm talking about. I don't need to explain. You know, I was going to go into maybe your coffee maker broke and you didn't have coffee this morning or you woke up on the wrong side of the day, but you all know one of those days. Uh, Maybe today is one of those days. Maybe you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or maybe your spouse woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You know, those situations where we tend to throw our hands up and say, why me, God? Why me? Well, this week... Uh, We are going to be continuing our sermon series in the book of James. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 1 again this week, so you can turn in your Bible there. uh, And as you do that, uh, last week we talked about how the Word of God is a mirror, and how uh, we have this tendency to read the Bible, and we walk away from it, and maybe we forgot what we read, or we don't apply it. And uh, last week, to kind of help us get into the groove, Lindsay gave us each an assignment, a homework assignment to read the book of James in a week. Read chapter one on Monday, chapter two on Tuesday, that whole sequence. And so if you didn't do that last week, it's okay. You're not, you're not in trouble, not yet. <laughs> but uh, the, we're going to be doing that again this week. So if you, if you didn't make it through all of James last week, Go ahead and just start back at James chapter one tomorrow, and uh, if you don't have anyone to walk through this this sermon series with you, uh, well, someone else was slacking and didn't find a partner. So uh, you can come and talk to me. I don't have anyone else. So uh, if you don't have anyone to walk through with you, uh, please, I encourage you to find someone else. Uh, so as I said, we're going to be looking at James again this week, and. Uh, A little bit of uh, background information. James is writing to the early persecuted church, right? Uh, Now, when we say persecuted church, uh, we need to understand what exactly the state of this church was. You see, if, if the church met back then the way we do today, where we are predictably here every Sunday at the same time, every week, well, back then, That would have been the surest way to get caught and probably put to death. And so uh, James starts off his book, he starts off saying, Hi, my name is James. I'm a fellow believer in Christ. And then he digs in in verse 2. Let's look at what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So James is talking to the persecuted church, and he says, hey, when bad things happen, that's a good thing. Wait, uh, that could be a good thing. Uh, so James is starting off strong with some serious motivational talk. And if we were to try and translate this into a phrase today, it would be, when life, makes, or when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade. And we get a picture that James is that guy, that guy who always says this motivational thing, who always knows what you should be doing, that guy that maybe, maybe you just don't want to ask him what you should be doing, you don't want to ask him for advice because he always has the, thing, the right thing to do, even when you really don't want to do it. So maybe you you refuse to ask him anything because you just don't want to hear what he has to say and he's going to make you do it anyway. James is that guy. And James comes out the gate. He starts this book swinging. And he's not allowing for any pity. And this is because James has something to say about hard times. Because God has something to say about hard times. You see, he wants us to shift our perspective from what we are enduring or what we're experiencing to how is god at work through this to put it plainly james is saying troubles grow faith now last week Lindsay summarized her sermon in a single phrase and if you're looking for something similar to that in this sermon well this could kind of be it however when it comes to faith, it's never so simple. Like, honestly, I really don't see you guys, like, when you stub your toe, that you believe that that's growing your faith. And if we're honest, you probably lose your faith a little bit when you stub your toe. I really don't see it going down like, oh, man, God, you are so good. Your mercies are new every morning. Like, I really doubt that's what's going through your mind. Just being honest. But James starts his book off with an absolute statement. You see, he says, when troubles come your way. When troubles of any kind come your way. He's not saying if trouble comes, when trouble comes. See, those of you who follow Dave Ramsey and some of his money budgeting principles, you understand this concept. This is why we have an emergency fund. And if, you're, if, if that confused you, don't worry. We're going, we have an opportunity for that in the future. If you're interested in Dave Ramsey, you can come and talk to me later. But what James is getting at here is that troubles happen. Trouble is a guarantee it will happen. And oftentimes, we label events in our lives as either good or bad. Trouble usually tends to be in the bad category, uh, and we, but we put words to identify whether it was good or bad. And this is largely based on our perspective. For example, most of us would believe that winning the lottery, man, that's a great thing. I never have to worry about money for the rest of my life. However, if you dig deep and find out how many lotto uh, winners file for bankruptcy later on in their life, that good thing it turns into a bad thing later. So as I said, trouble is all about perspective. There's a book out there, it's called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And the point of this book is to kind of help you corral your emotions. For some of you, that's a really tall order. (laughs) For me, that's a really tall order, I think. Uh, But there's there's a point in the book in which it says, don't be fooled by a bad mood. And that's a really weird thing to say, but the point it makes is once a bad mood takes over you or takes over, you lose sight of what's good in your life. You see perspective is powerful. Perspective has the ability to make or break your day or week or month or year. You see the way we view life the way we view life's situation has an opportunity to have physical effects not only on our bodies, but on the world around us. You see, what James is saying here is, what if there's another explanation to trouble? What if trouble isn't just something that happens, but there's a purpose behind it? You see, trouble is like fire. It can be an amazing force uh, to harness some tremendous things. A lot of our comforts that we enjoy today, we can thank fire for. Without fire, we wouldn't have steel. Without fire, we wouldn't have our phones. Without fire, we wouldn't have our cars. Our cars run using fire. But on the other side of that coin, we can also thank fire for the Waldo Canyon, for burnt-down houses. Fire can be harnessed for good or it could be incredibly destructive. Trouble can be harnessed for good or it could be incredibly destructive. It has the ability to affect what is going on our, in our lives with what we do with it. And it has one of two ways of growing depending on how we treat it. And the Bible has kind of a, a plan for us to walk through this. So let's look at James chapter, or verse three. It says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You see, what this is saying is that trouble happens, but that doesn't have to be the end of it. James is telling us that Our options are either to lean in or do something else. We'll get into that something else in a minute. Now, allow me to illustrate kind of what this looks like. When I was 18, I was slide tackled. Some of you might already know this, uh, but I was slide tackled, and this resulted in one clean fracture on my tibia and two clean fractures on my fibula. Now, that was doctor speak, During the time, all I heard was I broke my leg. One big break on my big bone, two little breaks on my little bone. It hurt. I didn't care what the doctors had to say. But I spent a week in the hospital on a liquid diet because I had to undergo surgery to correct some of the damage. And at that time, a 130 pound 18 year old had lost almost 15 pounds my weight was dangerously low. And at this point in my life, I had two options. To do the exercises that the doctors were urging me to do or to waste away. Now, some of you might be looking at me and still wondering which choice I made. (laughs) To which I say, ha-ha, very funny. But just like muscle and bone, our faith grows and strengthens under pressure, but it weakens when barely put to use. You see, when we are fighting with our spouse, we have the opportunity to hold on closer to them than ever before. When money gets a little tight, we have the opportunity to cling closer to our God than struggle to hold on to the money that we so desire. You see, leaning into our troubles makes us more mature. It builds our endurance so that the next time we face something like this, when things get a little tense with our family, we can trust God. When money gets a little tight, we can trust God because He's already been there. He's been there with us. He's walked through this with us. He's shown us how to handle this, and we can do it before because He's done it before. We can do it again because he's done it before. You see, James has given us this ultimate strategy. The key to success is to endure. Now you might be looking at this and this message sounds like a suck it up buttercup kind of thing, but there is truth to this. When Titus was a baby, when Titus was a child, he had very little endurance when he was crawling. As with all babies, they keep enduring. They endure. They keep going. And eventually, Titus was able to walk. And he was able to run. And he still runs, out of control sometimes. (laughs) But this is God's plan for each one of us. So that our faith can crawl. So that our faith can walk. And our faith can run. God wants our faith to spread like fire. You see, when we establish God as the firekeeper of troubles, troubles grow us into maturity. And we become refined through this process. But there's more to it than just that. Real quick, how many of you guys have ever worked really hard at something, or maybe you were playing a game and you won the game. You're fiercely competitive. Yeah, I'm competitive. I have, I have played more games and won more games than I care to admit, uh, because I am fiercely competitive. But at the end of each game, I'm like, I am just like, I think I deserve a prize. I think I deserve something a little bit extra for what I've done. And you know what, far too many times at the end of this game, my prize was, you did a good job. The satisfaction of knowing you won. You did better than anyone else. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. But fortunately, we serve an amazing God who values our endurance. At the end of it all, God doesn't say, you did good, well done. He gives us more. James 1.12 uh, says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, there's more to endurance than just building endurance. There's more to trouble than just building endurance. Enduring hardship, enduring trouble brings us closer to God, and it brings us closer to eternal life. This means that our spiritual maturity brings us closer to God's blessings. God allows these trials and temptations because they grow us, they refine us, they bring us through a process where on the other side, we are stronger because of it. And there comes a time, each one of us, our parents, let us make our own decisions for the most part. Because if they didn't, we never matured. We never grew. Now, it's interesting to note uh, where, what James has to say about where these trials, or where the temptation is coming from. Or rather, where it's not coming from. Verse 13 says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires. Which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, how many of you guys have seen Star Wars Episode 1? Okay, I got some Star Wars fans in here. Awesome! Now, how many of you guys have heard of a small character that has a role to play in that movie? His name is Yoda. Yeah, even if you haven't seen Star Wars, you know who Yoda is. And in fact, he made a really cool, uh, really appropriate uh, uh, phrase that, uh, I, even if you haven't seen Star Wars, you've probably heard of this. And it goes something like, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. <laughs> okay, that probably wasn't my best Yoda impression, but you get the point. And again, I'm not here to discuss the, mi- the biblical bear- merit of Star Wars. In fact, I would say Star Wars Episode One was probably the worst movie out there. I am a huge Star Wars fan, and I hate Episode One. Episode One sucks. Fight me on it. I'm just saying. But James leads us down this Yoda-esque progression of sin. Desire leads to temptation. Temptation leads to sin. Sin leads to death. You see, James does this to provide a stark contrast between the character of God who wants us to grow into maturity and what happens when we tend to the fires of trouble by ourselves. And this is where things get dicey. This is where we find ourselves in trouble. Because we often indulge in our desires when we are under stress. When we are faced in trouble, we prefer to go to things that can comfort us instead of to the one who comforts us. How many of us are stress spenders? Stress eaters? stress ragers. Is that even a word? (laughs) It is now. Invented by Kurt, stress rager. You see, whatever label you put on it, it's indulging in a desire. And when we are enticed to indulge in our desires, it's more than just unhealthy. It's dangerous. It leads to death. These desires become fuel for a fire that is all-consuming, never satisfied, and dangerously destructive. You see, when troubles come, each of us has the opportunity to have God be the firekeeper. But when we choose not to, we are choosing to tend our own fire. We're choosing to rely on ourselves and on our desires. And let me just say, our desires will betray us. So the point that James is getting at here is that temptation comes from within. Now, some of you might be wondering about the theological merit to that statement, the theological truth behind that. You might be thinking, Satan tempts us, or that the devil made me do it. Okay, so let's break this thought down. First of all, we read that God does not tempt us. So God is off the table. He cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt us to do evil. Okay, but Satan, well, he's not off the table, right? He's called the tempter. He, he does a lot of things that make us walk down hard paths that we shouldn't go down, right? But here's the rub. Here's the deal. Satan has his role to play, but he can't work without some form of material. Only God can make something from nothing. A fire can't grow without fuel. To illustrate this, how many of you guys have ever gone skydiving? Yeah, Nick is probably the only one. (laughs) And it wasn't skydiving. How many of you guys want to go skydiving? Okay, how many of you guys have no desire to go skydiving? I'm among you guys, okay? I have no desire to go skydiving. Uh, I have never been tempted to go skydiving because I have no desire to do it. I have no desire to jump out of a flying plane, I'm sorry. And if you do have a desire to jump out of a flying plane, you need help. (laughs) I'm just saying. But our temptation is driven by those desires. And our enemy knows that. You see, Jesus has called us to be fishers of men, but we rarely stop to think that the enemy likes to fish too. See, he uses lures and baits that entice us and drag us in. He uses lures like alcohol to the alcoholic. Drugs to the addict. Pornography. He knows how to hit us by our desires. I said our desires betray us, and they do. They give us insight on how Satan can best defeat us. Now, I want to be clear what I mean desire. Desire to do the wrong thing. And we can desire to do the right thing but simply put, desiring to do the right thing is not enough. James 4.1 says, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do, then not do it. It is not enough to desire to do good. As we discussed last week, we have to do it. Sin is indulging in the choice to avoid doing what God wants us to to do. So the conclusion of all of this, when we choose to indulge in these temptations, it leads to death. You see, Jim, or James is pointing out Jim. I'm not that familiar with him. James is pointing out that sin separates us from the crown of life that God has for us. At the beginning, I stated that troubles grow faith. But as we've been unpacking to that, it becomes apparent that there is more to it than that. You see, troubles do grow faith, but it depends on who is tending the fire and the fuel that it's being fed. You see, James doesn't say what the difference between a a test and a temptation. He doesn't say what the difference between the opportunity to do good is or the opportunity to do death. He simply says there's an opportunity to consider it pure joy. There's an opportunity to change your perspective. James says the opportunity here is to see troubles as something that grow our faith. We can let the refining process of endurance forge our faith into something worth far more than gold. And Peter says, he agrees with this. You know it's good when two people in the Bible agree on something. 1 Pe- Peter 1.7 says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world what Peter is saying here is that your endurance your faith it will bring you glory and honor and praise from the God that we give praise when we stand before him God will look at us and say well done good and faithful servant you have endured to the end God is trying to forge and produce something in us that will end up for our good and for our maturity. And James wraps this thought up incredibly powerfully. 6 starting in verse 16, so don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. If you remember how James said that temptation comes from within and how temptation is born from our desires and drags us away to death, this is the antithesis to that. This is the life. He says, good gifts come from God, and the end result is life, eternal life. You see, troubles may come, and they, be te- they may be tests or temptations, but God is never changing. God is there for us if we change our perspective to look for him. You see, we have the choice to see if God is work, where God is working in the midst of our trials and temptations. Or we could go off and do our own thing. But I'm telling you, following God has its perks. You see, the way God works is so intimidating that when we look for Him and bow before Him in the middle of our trials and temptations, Satan runs. He flees. Now, I'm not talking about some tactical withdrawal. I'm talking about Satan tucks tail, soils himself, and flees. He runs. James 4, 7 says, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I might have taken a few artistic liberties in that uh, uh, interpretation, but the the fact remains the same. When you bow before God, Satan gets afraid. You see, God here God is saying here the outcome is determined. Bow before God and you will win. Satan will flee. See God is equipping us to endure. When trials come, we often think about those verses that say my yoke is easy my burden is light and we think you know what this this is not easy this is pretty hard we end up thinking that God needs to hold up his end of the deal but the truth of the matter is God has held up his end of the bargain his yoke is easy his burden is light but the thing the Bible doesn't talk about is the ground in which we walk you see, the Bible, or God doesn't preserve us from the world around us. He equips us to endure the world around us. He equips us to be able to last until we are standing before God when he can say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And it's at this point that James steps into the oldest argument that people have. If God is so good, why does this happen? Why is life so hard? Because it's our choice. Some things are out of our control, but it is our our choice to either look for God or to seek our own desires. You see, God is the the same no matter what. His objective never changes. And despite whether troubles are good or bad, God's objective is to grow us into maturity and to teach us how to endure. William Taylor said, nothing will more correctly reveal what is in a man than the coming upon him of some crushing an unlooked for crisis. Now that's that can be a very confusing statement, but in modern vernacular what it's saying is that troubles don't make us who we are. They reveal our character. You see when troubles come, it's not about what we did to make it through. It's about how we responded to Christ in the midst of it. It's about it's about looking for how does God want to use this. And we can either trust God and look for how he's refining us, or we can tend to the fires of our own heart and indulge in those desires that ultimately lead to death. Now, I don't want to tell you all of this and say, now go forth and make sure that it happens. Consider it pure joy. I'm not just going to give you guys this motivational talk and say, go conquer. But I'm going to give you three practical ways of how you can look, how you can apply considering it pure joy. And the first is we need to deal with our desires. First and foremost, we need to sort through our desires. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need see when we put God first you won't find yourself as such an easy target for temptation and this can take on putting God first can take on many forms it can be uh, doing your devotions first thing in the morning it can be having a word of prayer submitting a stressful meeting to God And it can be avoiding situations where we know our desires will get the best of us. So the question you have to ask yourself every day is do I desire God above all else today? Next we need to look for the positive. Now that, that can seem a lot easier said than done. We look at this and we think this is all motivational mumbo jumbo. You're just trying to make me happier. Well, yeah, I am, but this is exactly what James is telling us to do. In fact, recent research agrees that when we look for the positive, it has beneficial effects on not just our spiritual life, but our physical bodies. It can lead to increased lifespan, lower rates of depression, lower levels of distress, stronger immune responses, better cardiovascular health and, oh yeah, better coping skills during hardship. You see, looking for the positive does more than just heal our heart, it heals our bodies. And last but not least, we need to trust in God's strength. Because at the end of the day, sometimes looking for the positive is a lot easier said than done. Sometimes it seems there is no positive side to the troubles we are enduring. And it's in these times that God is closer to you than ever before. Psalm 46 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And what we see here is that when all else fails, we can rest assured that our God will never fail. And as we close today, as we sing our final song, I encourage you to reflect on who is the firekeeper of your troubles right now. Are you indulging in your desires? Are you tending to the fire of trouble by yourself? Or are you letting your troubles refine your faith to spiritual maturity? And I want to take this time to invite you to adopt a posture of prayer. Invite God in to search your heart. Search my heart, O Lord. And take a time uh, and have God point out in any way where you are indulging in your desires. And if there's something you need to leave at the altar, the altars are open. If something you have to give up and say, God, you know what? This is a desire that I have to let go. Then the altar is open. There's no better time than now to do it. So as we sing this last song, please adopt a posture of prayer. Pray and ask God to search your heart.